Welcome back to Supporting Both Ends of the Lead. I'm Caroline, a Certified Animal Behaviourist. And I'm Dr Linda Blair, a Clinical Psychologist. We're here to bring you today's double dose of well-being for you and your dog. And it's time to get started, don't you think? Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back. Um, This is our June podcast, um, and we're going to be talking about altruism today. Um, And you might be wondering, what is altruism? You've probably heard the word, but I wonder if it's one of those words where you thought, I think I know what that means, it's all right, and then you forget to look it up. So I will start at the risk of talking down to some of you uh, to explain what altruism is, because it's more than kindness. Um, We're always told it's good to be kind to other people, but altruism is more than that, and altruism has for many years, and we'll be talking about this in a little while, uh, been quite a puzzle to scientists, because altruism is giving of yourself to another in your species, usually. We will also be talking about that. Um, At no benefit for you whatsoever, but simply extending your goodness and your help to benefit them, but not necessarily getting anything back. Why do we do it? Why is it important? That's what we're going to be talking about today. And Caroline, as always, will be talking about not just altruism among dogs, because she's always surprising me, and she has, and she'll be telling you about that, but also this most interesting and this unique, I think, situation of dog-to-human altruism. Okay, so um, why did these confused scientists think we would carry on being altruistic when it might even harm the individual, you know, wear them out or make them overly tired or put them at risk, sometimes risk of life. Why would, why would they do that? Um, and the reason is that humans, I'm talking just humans here for a minute, are relatively weak compared to most other species. We, we don't have um, fangs, we don't have claws, we're not hugely large in terms of other species. So we, when we want to protect ourselves, we really can only do it if we do it in groups. So it's been those who've worked in groups who've survived through the millennia and therefore whose genes have been passed on. So, from that, there was some observation of other species, in particular birds. And what the zoologists noticed was that uh, birds, female birds, some female birds, would sometimes sacrifice their life for the young of another bird. And they thought, why? You know, that seems folly. Turns out that was a related other female bird, the mother. Um, it was, uh, I think it's called aunting behavior, A-U-N-T-I-N-G, I would say aunting. <laughs> um, and it, it, in order, it, it was a female bird that they observed on a number of occasions who didn't have babies, who sacrificed their life for their sister's babies. 
And from this came the idea that, oh, I see, altruism is about not the survival or the well-being of an individual, but the well-being of the DNA of our species. And that's what we think altruism is all about. I would say that it's wonderful, like so many things, that benefit us as a species comes with, comes with uh, side benefits. And there was a study in uh, Case Western Reserve, which is a university in, in America, uh, which found that uh, this guy's called Stephen Post, and he said there's a strong correlation, he looked at a lot of different studies, between well-being, happiness, health, and, wait for this one, guys, longevity for people who are compassionate towards others. Isn't that interesting? So it comes with benefits. Um, Caroline, surely dogs don't help each other. I, I refuse to believe that. Well, it's interesting. And when you were talking there about the birds and them sort of supporting um family members um there was a study that was done that was into whether dogs were altruistic in their in their nature with each other and it's kind of a a funny one because we talk so much about things like resource guarding between dogs dogs having the survival of the fittest that side of of a dog's um character um mm -hmm. or uh, th their sort of unique need to survive their survival instincts but this um, study looked at whether dogs would help each other to get a treat. So they were set up in these situation where um, they could pull a treat towards another dog that was near them and they wouldn't get anything back themselves. So they wouldn't be, if they pull a treat for that dog, they would get one themselves. It was just done out wow. of their own desire to do it. And um, it showed actually that dogs would do that for other dogs, but they did it more frequently if it was dogs that they were familiar with. Oh. However, they did a study that was similar to that, where they got to see whether dogs would, um, they got humans to provide food to dogs, and then they got to see whether the dogs would provide food back to the humans, and they didn't provide the humans with the food, which, living with dogs, oh. we would think that it would have been probably the other way around. That is fascinating, because... That, that solves a puzzle I've had, because I don't understand why dogs seem to be so um, sacrificial towards, uh, towards, towards their parents, their pet parents. I just think, well, there's nothing in it. Their DNA doesn't get passed through the, the pet parent. Um, why would they sacrifice? But of course they would sacrifice, as you said, I think a couple podcasts back, um, because they always got benefits from humans but not necessarily in preference to helping their own kind, where yeah. that, oh man. Absolutely. Yeah. That's I think wonderful. What's interesting as well is that when our dogs are perhaps providing us with support that we need, whether that be a warm shoulder to cry on or <laughs> a paw raised, rested on you when you're feeling stressed and they are trying to tell you that you maybe need to take a break, um, our dogs are not necessarily providing us with things or with practical, um, you know, subjects. survival. Um, um, yeah, they're actually they're more on an emotional level, but they require us for survival. So I think we often are probably the most altruistic with our dogs than we are with probably our family members around us, if we're honest. <laughs> 
I think you might be right. And also, I now you bring it to my attention. Um, I have a, I think listeners know that I have a Labrador and a Spaniel. My Labrador, if I get upset, carries on sleeping. Um, she's just so laid back. My Spaniel uh, gets anxious very easily. And I bet you now, and I'm thinking about it, much as I love her, and I still will love her just as much, but she's probably trying to you know, put that paw on me and lick me and things when I get anxious to calm herself down because she can't help it. She's so tuned into everybody's emotions um, around her, whether they're people or our other dog, that I bet that's what it is. So that's not really altruism, is it? Yeah, and if you think about it, if our dogs do survive or do rely on us for survival, in many ways because they're in a domesticated environment they don't have the opportunity to forage <laughs> although you may have a bin raider in your own home <laughs> but they don't have as much opportunity to forage and find the food that they would if they were living naturally out in the world um, so they rely on us for those things so actually if they see vulnerability in that caregiver in that person who um, is is sort of uh, you know the life and soul of the household. If they see that vulnerability because that person is upset, um, perhaps they're providing that care or that moment of check-in because one, like you say, they they feel anxious themselves, or two, because they want to make sure that you're okay, to, so that you will continue to keep them surviving. If yeah. that makes sense, <laughs> that does make sense. And I don't want anybody listening to this to think any less of their dogs caring behaviors because of that but I think to understand it is important um, because with humans my, my professor that taught me zoology always said the animal model is so interesting because we can get laws more easily because it's not quite such a complicated system going on in the brain as it is in humans we've got all these intentions and lie ability to lie and all these things that we don't think comes uh, to uh, other creatures so um, it's a way of understanding more clearly what's going on and in humans the great thing is as I just said if you do extend yourself at risk the benefits are there so we don't have to feel well then it's not worth it no other creature does it why should I do it well I think we should because I think not only as a whole and my goodness any of you who are concerned about the climate know we all have to work together nowadays but um, it's also to the benefit of your own personal well-being and sounds like from this research longevity Interesting. And I when know. you think about it as well, we know that dogs um, share that boost of oxytocin and feel-good hormones when they connect with us. Um, so just as we get the benefit of when we look at it in our puppy's eyes, our dog's eyes, we yeah. get that same feeling that we would, or that same boost of oxytocin as we would if we were looking into our own newborn child's eyes. Um, our dogs do feed off that too. So they are getting something out of that relationship when you have tactile or contact or close proximity, I suppose. So, yeah, yeah and in it for them. you've just reminded me of something we do know, that if you have high cortisol all the time, which is the opposite of having oxytocin, you know, because oxytocin helps dampen down your cortisol, your stress levels, um, that's really bad for your health. So that, that endangers your health. So um, to be altruistic with your dog, in other words, just to spend time sitting there and 
giving them a tummy rub or as you say looking in their eyes is is not only nice for them but it it, it, it makes both of you more likely to remain healthy yeah for sure one thing that's also i think quite um interesting to look at is the way that having dogs in our homes if you do have young people living with you <laughs> um uh, little humans um is that it can actually help our dogs uh, sorry, our children to become more caring as adults. Yes. So what we find is that there was a study that was done around infants um, and the infants were one side of a gate and the dogs that were friendly with kids the other side and the infants were helping the dogs who couldn't get at the toys or the treats that were placed on their side of the, the gate. So the, the oh. even as young as two years old, these toddlers were able to do that. And even if they didn't have a pet at home themselves, um, some of them were helping the dogs just because the dogs were kind of pouring or looking or wanting to kind of whine and get at that toy or treat. Those young two year olds or, or younger <clears throat> were there to help the dog and provide that that caring. And they were getting nothing back from that apart from, I suppose, that moment of of success of of kind of oh I did something managed to do something which is all development isn't it for toddlers well I think also they were getting something back because if the dog was happy then and maybe licked them or whatever I don't know whatever showed that it was a happy creature then the child would would feel rewarded for their effort and when we are rewarded if we reduce it again to uh, physiology you get dopamine and so they would feel really really good um, knowing they'd helped. Um, so I think that's that's probably also hopefully rewarding to, to the kids. But that's a beautiful study. I mean, it shows me that although we need to teach other humans, especially our little ones in our lives, um, how to be better members of this world, we don't have to teach them to do it because to do it is there before they can even talk. If that was happening in two-year-olds, they recognized that someone else was in need. It may have four legs, but it was in need, and that they would attend to that. So that's a very beautiful little observation or study, whatever it was. I like that. Yeah, and I think it it just shows us that you know dogs can give not only uh, the kind of hum the adults that are their primary carers um, some. Uh, enjoyment and learning and lessons in life but also for the children that they live with. I wanted to add if I may something that I think is really important um, when you are considering if you're listening to this podcast and thinking oh I haven't really been that generous lately I need to be more generous I need to be more altruistic and give to others and I better sign up for some volunteer things. Um, there is a good body of research to suggest that um, with altruism, as with every other quality that humans have, there needs to be a balance. And if you give and give and give to the detriment of yourself, then you are not only making yourself unwell, potentially, but you're also making other people feel bad, not good, because they feel guilty. I'm talking about victims. You know, the people where you go to their house and you say, can I help? Oh, no, 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 I'll do everything. And you see how tired they are and you wish they would let you help. That's too much altruism. 
So you've got to get it right. And one of the things that um, researchers have found helps you get it right is to choose to give to others, whether they have four legs or two, um, in ways that are already close to your heart, um, ways that you care about. I, I believe it was a hospital in Pennsylvania where they found that people who'd had the same operation, I can't remember what it was that people were having to come in for, it was a very scary operation, if they volunteered to reassure those people, um, those uh, givers got much higher scores on well-being than people who decided to go to uh, spend time, I don't know, in a food bank or something, because that wasn't something that, that was their great interest. So choose things that, that you enjoy or that are close to your heart or that mean something to you through your own history. Um, and um, I would bet quite a few of our listeners will have something to do with uh, canines. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So what you're saying, Linda, is that we don't have to just be born naturally altruistic. We can choose to make um, gestures and provide that um, sort of selfish, selfless um, uh, provision to somebody else as a kind of conscious decision to feel good about it rather than having to just do it only because we are a, a good person. <laughs> yeah, sort of. Um, we are born altruistic. Um, we That's what that little two-year-old study showed. Mm-hmm. Um, that for before you could really explain to a child, they're already doing it. We're born altruistic, but we don't know how to do it, how to show that altruism, how to show that giving. And we haven't yet received lots of rewards in the form of dopamine for putting our efforts out there. Um, so that that's what we have to teach, and most especially teach by doing it ourselves as role models, um, yeah, is to give... Sure. But I'm just urging people not to give to the expense of your own well-being because then it's no longer uh, altruism, it's sacrifice. And that isn't, it certainly isn't beneficial for the survival of the, of the DNA of you. And I don't think it's probably very good for the people around you because they feel so guilty. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I kind of thinking that we're probably as a society today in more modern times, Myself and Linda were just talking all about the artificial <laughs> intelligence movement at the moment. Um, but in more modern times where we are connecting so much online, um, if we compare it back to the days where you would pop round to your neighbours for a cup of sugar and those sort of things where you had connections with real life communities, do you have any tips for how people can connect more in person then because surely we get more joy out of that than through our online connections and online giving yep um there was a a book discussed on the radio this morning which was i can hear the cuckoo calling or singing Mm. i I don't remember exactly the title just out about a young woman who was living in london living the urban life and moved out to Wales when a tragedy happened in her family. I won't give it all away. And um, is so much happier now. And one of the things she was talking about is that the connections that you make out there are face-to-face. No, You don't make an appointment or a time to drop by, a, meet at a cafe or something. And nowadays, we don't even do that. We just do Zoom. But the people just knocked on your door. 
And she was saying how much more fulfilling that is. So I think we've come back to the magic word in my vocabulary anyway, which is balance. The AI technology that we were talking about nervously before the uh, podcast is also of great benefit. I mean, we're using it right now. Um, most things are really good, but in moderation. And I think we need a little bit more balance in our world now between the technology where we don't feel, we don't, I'll get to that in a minute, but we don't have the same emotions as we have when we're face-to-face because we're not aware of the effect face-to-face has. But I will tell you that it involves the scent of the other person, the 3D movements that you can't quite see on screen. All those little details make you more engaged automatically. And so we're missing that, and we need more of that to rebalance so that we understand what the benefits are of the two-dimensional communications. That's one thing. Another is a really interesting piece of research, which is that we, it's been found that we grossly underestimate the emotions intended in any kind of online communication. So... I don't know how many of you are thinking, oh yeah, I got that email the other day and I thought, gosh, she's off with me, isn't she? And it's just because they didn't put enough exclamation marks or they didn't reread it and make warm it up. So I would say that one of the things that will help a lot is when you are using non-face-to-face communication um, to remember your altruism, to sh- lace it with kindness, whatever it is you're needing to do. It's doesn't cost anything except time to reread that communication warm it up and add funnily enough add exclamation marks or other emojis or something that makes it feel more cozy and that's that will really help so balance and awareness that you're already on the wrong foot in in, uh, two-dimensional communications you already aren't expressing enough emotion so you've got to try those would be my pieces of advice, but that's human to human. That's not human to dog. Absolutely, and I think we can extend that into the dog world by encouraging everybody to be kind and share their advice or support um, in a very considered manner when they are connecting with other dog parents in social media spaces because this is one area that I know so many of my clients struggle with is they'll ask a question in a Facebook group or wherever it might be or they'll post a picture of their dog and they get berated and they get um, so much feedback and some of it probably isn't meant in that way some of it is meant it was just a quick response and it didn't come across in the right way but sometimes we're so keen as dog parents who really want the best for the entire population of the dog world to get it right for every dog that we don't think about how our advice is coming over so for somebody who doesn't know what they what you don't know at that point it can be kinder to share it in a positive way for them to learn and educate from rather than to put it across as a criticism for them I love that. That's so kind. Um, and it, it pertains, doesn't it, Caroline? Because you're at that stage with a very tiny human in your life to mothers to mothers. We tend to sometimes to forget that um, 
maybe we're trying to big ourselves up rather than be kind to the other person and to, to stop focusing so much on us and try and see what the other person needs and wants. Yeah, 100%. Good and message to give, isn't it? Absolutely. And with your dogs, I think one of the things that we can fall into the trap in, trap of is that we almost take them for granted day to day. And so um, one of the things that can be useful, and we, and we will probably talk about this, no doubt, at some point in the future on the podcast, is being grateful for the moments that our dogs have, but paying that back to them. So if your dog does come and greet you when you're feeling stressed because they're giving you that, that moment of support that you needed, think about where they might like to be touched on their body or think about their favourite treat that you could go and then get them and give them back so that you're rewarding them for those moments where they really provide you with that selfless um, support and connection that you needed in that moment. And never mind why, even if it was to get their supper or a treat. I agree with that. You know, you really hit a nerve with me because I'll be working in the evening. A lot of times I'll be riding something and my dog will be just faithfully, you know, resting their, their little head on my foot or something. And I don't, at the end, I don't always remember to just lean down and give them a nice stroke. So thank you for that, Caroline. You're right. It's, And I would get rewarded too. How silly of me not to, because of course I would get dopamine to see their happiness. So um, guys, get out there and give. That's the message I think we'd all like to give and, and, and that we need to remember it too, or I certainly do. Yeah, get out there and give. I love it. That's I think that summed it up perfectly, Linda. Do we even need to do our just one things? No, today? I don't think so. I think that's a, that's our just one thing. Get out there and give. <laughs> Wherever you find it, uh, you've got a gift to give. And, and if you do have any wonderful moments where you've shared something, you know, beautiful with somebody, you've given that support, and you've got a story to share with us, please do send it back to us. Because while we do this podcast for the love of it for you guys, um, <laughs> and to hopefully share some wisdom where it might be useful, we do love to hear back from you and hear how you're getting on. And and that would be especially pertinent today because um, Caroline will be telling you about our, our little break we're going to take. But the more feedback we get from you, then the more ideas we'll have for our next series. So over to you, Caroline. Yeah, so as Linda said, this is the wrap on the first series of Supporting Both Ends of the Lead podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed the journey together with us so far. We hope you've been listening to as well, maybe traveling many miles with your dogs and been having some great adventures together. Um, and we really look forward to sharing some more walks with you through your ears in the future. Um, but as Linda said, please do keep in touch. Let us know how you're getting on and let us know if there's anything that we can help you with in the future because we would love to give back to you again bye for now